Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is your boy, C-I-Z-Z-Y, you dig live action on the Culture Talks podcast. We back again with another dope guest. I tell you, I tell y'all every week. I don't know why y'all y'all doubt me. I tell y'all every week, look, I'm about to bring a dope guest on this upcoming week, and I never lie. And I'm back with somebody right now, an inspirational individual with a powerful story and and I, I found him through some some facebook videos that he posts up on a consistent basis shout out to consistency and this man's level of consistency because i literally haven't missed a video and probably like i was just talking to him right now like six months so um we have mike hill you know i don't want to talk too much let me just tell <laughs> mike hill go ahead and introduce yourself my brother what's up man mike hill uh founder of dog culture stage four cancer conqueror um I'm about all that smoke when it comes to mental toughness. So if you follow my page, you'll see um, I'm big on overcoming the mental battles in life. A little bit about myself, when I was in a hospital, the doctors told me several times that I was going to die. So the dog mentality that football created in me, I had to tap into that when I was in the hospital. And I tapped in and it was, it was hell. I, I went through hell and back, but um, I'm here. And, and now I believe my mission is to help people understand that anything they believe they can actually achieve. So it started with just cancer patients, but everybody, like more than just cancer patients reached out to me and they said, yo, you're really helping me get through what I'm going through when it's not cancer. So now my, my, my mission is the masses. So a little bit. Love it. I love it. I love it. And, and where are you reigning from? What part of the country are you from? um what city and and how did that shape you as you were growing up uh pg county maryland um so they say they say pg county is one of the richest african-american counties in the world i believe uh, I, I don't fact check me but um i'm, I'm not from that side so <laughs> but I, I grew up i grew up between largo and c pleasant um you know urban neighborhood and, and my background is football. So I kind of grew up playing football my whole life. I was the kid with the dream to go to the NFL. And if we fast forward, right before my cancer situation, I was actually with the Redskins in 2007. I got released and then I started playing arena football. And then that's kind of when my situation went down. But yeah, PG County. Talk about, talk about a shift in life experiences. We're going to get to that part for sure. Um, yeah. So, so what's your earliest memory of you playing football? Like around what age did you start playing? What position? Talk a little bit about, you know, go back to those nostalgic memories of childhood, Mike, and, and talk about, you know, what position you wanted to play, what position you were playing, what did that look yeah. like? Yeah, it's funny because my mom, so me and my brother were four years apart. So my mom always made me play up when it came to sports. So baseball, I had to play up. But football, they wouldn't let you play up because, you know, the size difference. So when I started out, I was smaller than everybody, but I was kind of solid. So they put me at fullback and linebacker. And I kind of developed asthma during practice. I don't know because I was soft and I thought it was, it was too hard, so I started breathing heavy. But I, I low-key developed asthma, and I had a pump and everything in my um, – my moments uh, or my fondest moments and memories in, in Little League when I was seven, like my first year, 
I couldn't run the lap all the way. So we had to run down to the fence and back. And that, honestly, that's where it started, man. Um, and let me backtrack. When I was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck. So that's where the asthma came from. And I was, I was actually told, not me, but my mom was told, if I make it, I would be brain dead because I was uh, like, I was losing so much air or I'm not pretty sure. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. I have yeah. Lack of, they, lack of he, oxygen and blood to the brain. Right. Yeah. So they said, if he makes it, he'll be brain dead and he won't be normal. Like he won't be able to function like everybody else in society. So I always like to say I came out fighting. So the asthma thing kind of like popped up when I was seven, when I started playing football and um, moving on, moving on to senior year in high school. Right. So I was, I, was, I was relying on this inhaler my whole career. Senior year, um, I'm like, yo, I'm going to play football on the next level. I can't rely on this asthma inhaler to save me every time I get tired. So I'm working out, and there's construction all around me, and there's dust particles all in the air, and I have an asthma attack. And this is my junior year going into my senior year. And my trainer's like, just take your inhaler. And I'm telling you, that's when the dogs started clicking for me. I was like, I'm not taking it. So I sat there literally – I couldn't breathe for like an hour, but slowly but surely I started to get my win. And then I low key conquered asthma at 16 years old. And I never used it again since that moment. And then the hospital happened. So, but that, that is like the pivotal point on the mental side when I started to conquer what was happening around me. And I wouldn't accept, I didn't accept the fact that I had to use an inhaler when I was tired. So yeah, that was, yeah, I think, and I think that's an important point to make. First off, that's, dope and powerful but I think it's a important point to make because it's all about like you know getting to that deciding factor like that decision in your mind where you're like yo I'm just gonna do it or I'm just not gonna do it whatever it is you know like I mean to give an example for me not in like a bragging rights way but like I committed at a young age just because I had older siblings and I saw I didn't do them any good but I saw at a young age I did not want to do drugs I didn't want to like I didn't want to smoke no matter if it's like legal now and it's fine and it's chill like I don't have no problem with it but like I committed at a young age. I'm never going to drink. I'm never going to smoke because like, and I, and I made that decision right then. I was sure of it. And like to this day, now that it's all chill and it's regular and you know, everyone, even like doctors and professors I'm around be smoking and stuff. And I'm like, you know, be a little tempted, but I'm like, I made that like commitment at a young age in my, in my mind, just, it clicked. Like I made that decision and you know, I'm gonna rock with that the rest of my life. And and that's just like a minor thing. Your situation is a little bit more powerful because it's, it just shows you how important it is to get to that point mentally where you're like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Like regardless yeah. of what anybody yeah. says. Yeah. 100% man. I love it. So, so think back to, to 10 year old Mike, man. Think back to 10 year old Mike. Where did, oh. when, where did 10 year old Mike want to be when he was like 29 years old or, or where did, where did he expect to be when he became an adult? Here was the plan. All right start playing football. By the time I'm 21, I should be drafted in the NFL. By the time I'm 29, I should be like on my way to the Hall of Fame. So my whole thing like growing up is I just want to play football on Sundays. And, and I guess my motivation was, and I'm just starting to figure it out now, but it's the lifestyle that you want. Like you can always be a kid, if, you, if I can play football for the rest of my life, I can literally not grow up and just do what I love to do. So I believe even like transitioning to like everybody's life, if we can live a life where 
we can we can like live through our gifts and not necessarily just to get a check like doing something outside of our gifts to get a check i think if we can like transition ourselves to start living through our gifts and letting our gifts take care of us then i believe a lot of people will be much more happy but neither needless to say that is what i saw myself at 29 like superstar nfl running back too like wanted to be the best running back next to barry sanders so yeah hey, i love barry sanders I used to watch. Yeah. I used to. I used to watch his highlights every day before football practice. Literally, yeah, yeah me too. I, <laughs> I didn't. Even, I didn't even play running back, but he just inspired me. I was just <laughs> like, I was like, right. what well, is nice? I'm about to watch this video every day before practice. Yeah. <laughs> um. Very true, man. Sheesh. Shifty. Talk about a shift guy, man. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> so so. Was there like an influence when it comes to football? Like why why football? Was it your older brother? Was it, uh, you know, an uncle? Was it just the love for the game naturally, like coming out growing up and you were just like football is going to be it? Like that's just what I like. Was there a specific influence behind you being so attached to the game of football? So the funny thing is, like I didn't even, I didn't even know or I wasn't playing football at all. And my, I was like playing karate and baseball and basketball. But then my mom's coworker, uh, he told her that he was a coach and you should bring your sons out. So when I went out, I wasn't real like I played throwback, you know, in the streets or whatnot, but I never played organized football. And it's so weird, dog, when when I, I got like a cut on my arm and I got so excited. Like I was bleeding. I came home, I was like, Mom, look at this, look at this cut. And ever since I got that cut, I was like, I love this sport. <laughs> like, I, I, it's a, I guess it's like a barbaric, I don't know, bro. But ever since that, like, I saw that blood, I was like, yeah, I like this. It, it's, it's, a, it's a tough sport, and tough people play it. So I guess, you know, yeah. I think that's, like, for me, what I realized while playing was as hard as it was, as hard as it was for my pride to admit as a man, that shit wasn't for me. I wasn't like, <laughs> you know, no, like real talk though. Like, of, of course, you know, you can go out there, you can play, but like, if you're really going to be like a dog, like if you're really going to be a dog, you have to be a dog. And that's just like, yeah. that's the only way I can say is like, so when yeah. I'm glad on the field, yeah, you know, here and there, I'd have a big hit and I'd be hyping. I'm like, let's go, you know, turns up yeah. and anything, you know, you know, headbutting yeah. each other turns up, but like, you know, during the other plays when you in the trenches, like I play defensive end and tight end. So like the majority of the time when you in the trenches and our team, especially for offense, only ran the ball. So I was just constantly blocking. When your fingers getting crushed by helmets, people are coming up with their with their with their face mask straight into your chin, like every single play, you feeling yeah. stars in your head. Like I was like literally at least at least like you know once a drive i used to be like damn is this shit really for me (laughs) and so so i mean i think i think you really got to be a dog for that sport it's really a barbaric sport that's a fact and um i think again it goes there it's like if you mentally there then shit (laughs) that's for you absolutely um you mentioned briefly um you talked briefly about your mother but like you know talk about your mom a little bit like how did she inspire you growing up what was the what was the culture of the home while you were getting raised man that's that's my heart man um so my pops my pops he's military he was he was a marine so he was stationed for the majority of my childhood my pops was stationed like in japan so it was just me uh, and my two brothers and my mom, and she took care of us like anything we wanted. And then I'm telling my wife now, yo, my mother, I don't like she's unreal. There's no way she took care of three children, 
had meals ready for breakfast, lunch, then like it, the house clean. I just didn't understand it. I still don't understand it to this day. But my mom sacrificed so much for her children and she did it on her own for so long. And just like growing up now, having my own family, it's a different type of respect that I have for like, that's my dog. That's like my best friend. I can talk to her about anything. But now it's just, it's so much different now that I'm an adult. You know, I don't have kids yet, but now that I'm an adult, like the respect level is super high. And it was, it was always, you know, high, but, and she never missed a game. So Man. high school, literally college, I went to Duquesne University out Pittsburgh. She drove to every game. When we were, when we played away, she drove. If she couldn't drive, she flew. So my mom, that's like my number one fan. Um, I mean, next to my wife, but my <laughs> mom dudes. <laughs> Nah, I love it. I love it. And if you had to choose, you know, one or two like character traits or or uh, or mentality or a mentality that you adopted or learned from her, what would those be or what would that be? Oh, man, her heart, bro. Like her heart is huge. And she'll she does so much for everybody else. And I try to tell her, like, yo, she's retired right now. I'm like, man, you have to take care of yourself. Like if in low key COVID slowed her down and not saying that I'm excited about COVID, but it helped my mom kind of sit back and literally stay in the house and take care of herself. But I felt like I took that from her. I want, I'm, I'm the type of individual, but I'm a little tougher than her. So I'm the type of individual, I will help you, but I won't enable you, right? And I'm also like, my heart is big, so I care for people, but I'm also not the, the type of individual that cares so much where I put someone else in front of me. And I think that's where we differ, but I'm, I definitely take the traits of her big heart and her caring for people. I love that. I love that. Man, yeah. like, I think oftentimes it goes unnoticed how freaking powerful women are. Like, how, like, they do some things that honestly are, like, superhero-like. And I'm not even, like, trying to, like, hype really? it up or, or be, like, yeah. super sweet. I'm just speaking facts. Like, if you look at, like, men that are listening to this podcast right now, I want you to take five to ten minutes to truly sit down and reflect on mm -hmm. the women in your life reflect on the actions that they that they you know take every day reflect on the type of lifestyle they go about every day and tell me that yeah. you're not mesmerized tell me that you're not in awe you know talk think about your mom right now think about your auntie your sister and tell me that you're not in awe by the things they've been able to accomplish um yeah. and, it, and and by accomplish i don't mean become a millionaire be the biggest businesswoman in the earth although that's dope as shit too if you have somebody in the family that did that <laughs> definitely you know bow down bow down for sure but right. at the same time you know really think about i mean same thing about how you mentioned with your mom that's how i'd be thinking about my mom and one of my sisters i'm like yo how do y'all get all this done in one day like how do y'all cook for you know eight eight nine kids uh you know like a great story quick story about my mom is like when I was born she had just recently broken her foot for some reason I don't know why maybe it's because we didn't have health insurance I don't really know but for some reason she didn't go get it fixed like she just wrapped it up like they wrapped it up at home and she was my mom's a big, big woman too she was crawling on the floor with me on her back like like for the first like six months of my like being born she was crawling on the floor like to the kitchen pull herself up 
cook food for the family, whatever, set the plates up, boom, crawl back over here, sit and uh, pull herself up onto the couch, feed me, crawl back over here, or, you know, That's limp crazy. down the stairs, and I'm like, yo, that is the most gangster stuff I've ever heard <laughs> in my life, you know what I'm saying, like, nah, uh, and I think, you know, women are, are some, you know, creatures that only, are the only creatures that can really pull some of these things off, so I just wanted yeah, to shout them yeah. And, and, and and you touched on your wife, so go ahead and speak on that. How did that how did that come about? How did you meet? I want to hear the love story. I want to hear we you know we have some we have some people that love hearing love stories on here. So go ahead and share the little love story. My baby. So it's funny because we went to high school together, right? And I think I think we met sophomore year, sophomore junior year. So this is back. I'm old, so this is like 2001. And this whole time I'm flirting with her. I know she likes me of course. And she knows that I know she likes me, but I don't, I don't like, I don't take it there. So I just flirt and then I, I move on, do whatever I do. I did this for about 15 years. And, and so my wife eventually, cause I like, I knew she was in love with me and I loved her, but I, you know, I was young football player. Eventually she moved on. And then I, I woke up like instantly. I was like, whoa, 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 wait, she got a boyfriend. I was like, nah, ain't going to be none of that no boyfriend and um i had to i had to ruin it i was, <laughs> I ain't gonna lie to you. I, I was like dude look i like i'm sorry like i'm ready and um it kind of it kind of got to it's funny though like they say you never know what you got until it's gone and when i felt it slipping away i was like all right i'm done and and i i told myself i would never like i would never be the guy to settle down when i'm not ready you know because it only hurts the individual but like when i figured out that i was losing her i instantly got ready i was like boo i'm I, i'm done and you know we we started rapping and um we got married i think two years after we dated but i proposed when we weren't even together i was like, I don't have to be with you to propose to you so and now we two years strong man i love it i love it congratulations congratulations yeah, I appreciate it, appreciate it. Hey man, so so I want to talk lightly about your your time in high school. Where was your mindset at in high school? Like, you know, kind of explain who Mike Hill was. You know, at 17, 18 years yeah. old. We we know the football part, but where was your mindset at? What what other interests did you have? What were you struggling with? Talk a little bit about that. Okay, so it all it all kind of ties ties together. Um, I was the class clown all through high school, right? Um, and I wasn't big on working out. So the reason why I say it ties together, because that's all I thought about was football. I knew that in order to, to, for my dreams to come true, I needed to be the guy. And I was never the guy. Once I left Little League, I didn't even play in high school. I didn't play freshman, sophomore, junior year. So I was just joking around, doing what I thought was cool. And then my coach, and we were talking about this the other day with my friends, my coach had a good like he had a good way to get you to figure it out and what he would do he would bring in transfers and in my school we had three running backs I played running back everybody was leaving so I was like okay he's here he's here I'm here so I'm good but then they brought in a guy and they was like yeah he played your position and he runs a 4-2 mind you I'm the slow like I've always been slow so I'm like yo my senior year I'm not gonna play instantly I went home when I found out I said mom I gotta get a trainer and she was like, well, what you mean? I was like, they bring this running back in. He's super fast. I'm not, I'm not riding the bench. And this is why I do what I do now. So starting my junior year, 
I train every single day, like every day, maybe two or three times a day with my trainer. And coming into my senior year, I was like top three fastest on the team. So that's why I understand like what you put into something, you, you're bound to get something out of it. Like you cannot deposit and then not expect a return. So that's why I'm big on, yo, put the work in. So I put the work in all summer, three or four times a day, um, six, seven days a week grinding and then you know senior year was mine so like I led led my county in rushing um led the team in touchdowns rushing yards so that was that was my thing but class clown but then I had to realize like all right the goofing ain't gonna get me to where I need to be so I had to you know focus up that's powerful and how how did like how do you think that like affected you knowing that you know exactly what you said right there like when you put the deposit in you can't expect I mean you have to expect something to come out like when you deposit yeah. some work like you don't get a withdrawal you know what I'm saying like yeah, but but like when you realize that when when you came into that next season and you know you showed out and you you secured your positioning and you did what you had to do over the summer like how did that feel at that young age did you like realize that your hard work paid off or was it kind of like odd oh, you know shit <laughs> it's, it's funny bro it's funny how life works right Cause, cause I talk about this all the time. People put, put, they put the work in, they, they, they're in the process and then they start kind of wondering like, is it working? And some people who focus on the destination and not the process, they'll quit because they're not there yet. Not knowing that all you have to do is continue to move forward. And this is why I say this, my first, my first year, I'm sorry, uh, in camp, he actually took my spot. He took my spot. They moved me to fullback. And I was heartbroken and my coach could see it, but he was like, man, suck it up. And I was like, all right, whatever. And I stuck with the process. I played fullback. I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was still running, but I wasn't getting the ball like I wanted to. Like, no disrespect or nothing, but he ended up getting hurt, right? And because I stuck with the process, they moved me back. Boom. So that's one little hurdle that keep going, got over it. First game of the season. I didn't get the ball all first quarter. I was like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just blocking. Coach even yelled at me, if you don't, because I didn't know how to block. <laughs> so he was like, <laughs> if you don't block, you're coming out the game. And I, I figured it out. So when the heat is on, instinctively, we learn how to figure it out. Like, it's either fight or flight, right? So I just like, shit, I got to block. So boom, I started blocking. First carry, touchdown, like 40 yards. And then like through camp, through the scrimmages, through the first quarter, it was like, did it work type thing. Like, I did all this work. I know I'm fast, but did it work? And then the first time I hit, I get the ball, touchdown. And all it is is sticking to the process. So in the beginning, I was just like, look, man, I know I put the work in. Whatever happens is going to happen. I anticipated it because, like, quick now, I used to write down what I wanted to do before every game. So literally before that, like, I would watch Barry Sanders and I would write down what I wanted to do, I said, first time I touch the ball, I'm going to score. I still have my notes somewhere in the house. So everything I wrote down, probably like 80, 90% of it, it happened. But it didn't happen instantly. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and it's, it, it, afterwards, like, looking back, it's like, yo, it worked. Like, that's all I can say. Like, it worked, dog. I put the work in, and I'm, I am who I, who I aspired to become. You know what I'm saying? Love it. I love it. That's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. I love, I love hearing stories about people like, you know, finding their rhythm and finding like tapping into a certain type of mindset at a young age specifically, because it just shows like 
it shows not only the listeners, but it just shows me and it just reminds me that we often underestimate how much our youth are capable of. Mm-hmm. We often un- underestimate how much um, development that their mind has already. And, and, you know, when we're older, we start to be like, ah, he's just a young in or oh, these young bugs don't know what they're doing, blah, 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 which in some ways is true. Um, but <laughs> but at the at the end of the day, we're smart. We develop fast. You know, 15, 16, 17, we're able to do great things. And so I love hearing stories like that, knowing, you know, knowing that it is possible to tap into that. Right, 100%. Yeah. So after high school, where do you go? Uh, Duquesne. Duquesne University. To be the best running back in the NFL, right? Mm. Two weeks into camp, moved me to defense. Broke my heart. Uh, wow. I was like, come on. Like, now here's when, like, I don't cry unless it's football. And it's crazy. Like, I've been crying my whole life over football. So I was like, I was so devastated, man. I was like, I've been praying to be the best running back in the NFL. Like, how can I be the best running back on defense? Then they moved me to linebacker. So I kind of go MIA for a day. And my coach just started, like, calling home. They ain't know what to think. And so I'm telling you, that summer – when I had to train to win my spot, it just kicked in and it just was like, yo, do what you got to do. I forget who I talked to. I know I did speak to someone from back home and they was like, just be the best defensive player, right? So I was like, I don't want to play linebacker. But it clicked and I was like, it happened before and I'll just do what I have to do. So I ended up like playing backer for a year and I, and I sucked it up and I like led the team in tackles and then I got moved to safety. And then I was like, oh, this is what it was about. I fell in love with, with, with playing safety, man. Um, and it, it went back to the blood on my arm. And I was like, mom, I got a cut. So now it's like I get to run full speed into your face. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I get to, like I get to knock your head off and you might not even see me. No, I fell in love with safety. And, um, yeah, that was that's, that's my story at Duquesne. And I – Ended up being like first team All American, um, All Conference, and then to the Redskins after that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Two things. Two things I want to touch on. Number one, what you reminded me of when you said you get to run straight into somebody's <laughs> face is uh is Marshawn Lynch when he's like he's like and, and you got to take it again and again and again and again and then he's like and then again and then the the reporter's like is there anything you learned for that he's like Run through a motherfucking face. <laughs> I love right. it. I love it. I love right. that. Um, real quick, who are some of your – give me like two or three of your top uh, favorite safeties um, that have played in the league, dead or alive. So, so I went from 20 Barry to 20 Brian Dawkins. So Dawkins Woo-hoo. was the guy. You know what I'm saying? That, right. that was my guy. Um. Eddie, Eddie, Ed Reed, number 20 again, and Sean T. And Man. those were like my top dogs. And um, when I was playing, a lot of people was like, yo, you play like Bob Sanders. So I can throw Bob in there. And then we go way back in the day, Atwater used to bring the wood. So Atwater's my guy too. So yeah. I love it. I love it. Every time I see that play of Brian Dawkins, I think it was a. Uh, I think it was a punt. It was a punt. So he was he was playing. He was like on defense, or he was on the returning team on punt. He runs down the field, uh, or he runs down to try to hit the the punter, and then turns back around. 
runs full sprint back downfield to block for his teammate and smack somebody, just destroy somebody. <laughs> and then, he, you know, he loses it. You remember, he was very vocal, and, and, and I love that. And what that reminded me of is, like, you know, just effort, you know, putting putting in effort, like true effort, like that right there is true effort and never stopping until, you know, coach used to be like, don't stop till the whistle's blown, like stop stopping before the whistle's blown. And that was like yeah. the true definition of that. And I used to watch that play. And that's what it reminded me as I wasn't a great football player. I won't lie. I wasn't great, but I didn't mm -hmm. stop until the whistle blew because yeah. specifically of that video. And, and Ray Lewis, you know, talks about, you know, it, 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 it it's hard to know that there's somebody, every touchdown on every play that there's a touchdown, it was because somebody on that field decided in that moment that today I'm just not going to do my job. Mm. And, and that hit me, you know, that hit me. It's like, it's that one moment you decide to just be a little tired. You don't want to take yeah. the first step. Uh -huh. and, and doing that in life, you know, even in life, that one moment you decide to not study, that one moment you decide to not take that call, that one moment right. you decide to not go run that mile, that could have been your chance to, to meet this person. That could have been your, the, yeah. the thing that clicks in your head to make you go run a marathon and become the best marathon runner to ever live. But because you made that decision in that moment to take that day off, to take that moment off, you lost your chance and yeah. your team lost. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. powerful. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, like so tell me what year you graduate college and and what happens after that you mentioned the you meant you mentioned the Redskins so talk about uh your time from college leading into your opportunity with the Redskins uh so I graduate 2007 all right now I'm sitting there <laughs> I'm sitting there like all right drive this on I know they won't call me they had we had a couple scouts to come in. Um, I think the Texans, Eagles, Skins, and the Steelers since we was in Pittsburgh. And I was like, okay, somebody gonna call me. Day two, I'm sitting there. Um, and then eventually the end of the draft, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be Mr. Irrelevant. Cause I'm telling you, dog, what I say I speak, when I say something, I really believe it's gonna happen. I was like, I'm getting drafted. I've been saying it my whole life, I'm getting drafted. I was like, all right, I must be Mr. Irrelevant. So I'm sitting there last last draft, um, uh, last pick, I don't get called crap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, dream, boom. And it wasn't necessarily because I I didn't think I was going to the league. It's just like, I'm supposed to get drafted. Like, I know what I say, and I know that I can speak life into my life. So, that hurt. Um, but into, the, in, into camp, I go. And here's the thing at Duquesne. So, we play base cover two, like, all the time. And here's what I try to teach kids. Like, you have to know football on uh, uh, an educational level. Like, you have to understand football. You can't just play. And what I did, I was just a player. Like, I didn't really understand the concept. Like, you can tell me, uh, cover this guy or blitz the A-gap or run through his face. And, all right, cool, run through his face, no problem. But when it comes to scheming and understanding, like, coverages, like, I could do it because I've done it. But when we just played cover two, I would just use the backpedaling off the hash. So then now I have to read offenses. Now I have to make checks. And I started out in camp, and I was doing well. And I was in camp with LeBron Landry. Um, and I wasn't making no checks because I was like, I'm going to just not mess. I'm going to just play and not mess. I'm going to let him set it up and not mess. So they was like, hell, you, you can make some checks. Wrong move, bro. So 
with the nerves and the jitters, dog, I was out there and I was just making all type of calls that wasn't right. And I went from first string to second to third to no plays and then got let go after minicamp, um, started playing arena football. And one thing, another thing that I wanted to say, um, they asked me, because here's, here's another opportunity where pride got in the way. So I'm like 5'11", 225. And they're like, yo, can you block? And I already know what that means. Like, they want me to play fullback. My ego, my ego says, no, nah, I'm, I'm a safety. I can't, I don't block, right? But not knowing that the opportunity to play on Sunday is right in your face. The thing that you've been waiting for, it may not be wrapped up how you, like, you wanted to be, look at that, I didn't even peep this. I wanted to be the best running back. Who's to say that I couldn't go from fullback to running back? So I'm transitioning. Can you block? Nah, I play safety. Opportunity missed because of my ego and my pride. Right. So I move on. They, they like, all right, well, we need you to drop some weight. I need you to drop about 20 pounds. I drop 20. I go play arena first year. I'm like runner up defensive player of the year. Scouts started to come back out. Um, second year, though, like I'm playing ball. It's like game two or three. And my body is like itching really bad. And, and we got practice at 12 at night because it's like some rinky dink arena league. Um, but when I put my pads on, my whole body is itching. And I can't, like, I'm so uncomfortable that, like, I can't stand it. Only time the itching goes away is when I start sweating really bad. So I would be uncomfortable for about a, a, an hour in the practice. Eventually, it affected the way I played. Long story short, midway through the season, I retired. And I was like, man, I guess I just don't love the game no more. Um, after the retirement, I continued playing. Uh, I continued going to the weight room. And I was lifting one day and I like strained, I, was, I think it was like 225 on the military press. I strained a muscle. So I thought in my neck, it popped and I didn't think nothing of it. So I kept moving, I iced it, I kept it moving. Um, and then December 31st, 2010, I had to go to the hospital, right? So remember I told you I stopped using my asthma inhaler. But that night, I guess I thought I had the flu and I really couldn't breathe. So I'm taking, it was like that asthma attack all over me. I'm taking small breaths. And my mom, like, I think we need to go to the hospital. And then we had like an old medicine kit. And I took this old inhaler. It didn't work. It made it worse. So I go to the hospital, get on my breathing machine. Before I leave, I said, Doc, can you check out this knot in my neck? I feel like I strained a muscle. And then the nurse's eyes got big. We got to take a biopsy. And that was the night I got diagnosed with stage four cancer. Yeah. So let's run that back. You you finish you finish college. You you get an opportunity with the Redskins. Um, it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. Play arena football, which I'm sure you were grateful to be playing football, but at the same time isn't what your dream was. So I'm sure that was challenging for you mentally to you know be there when you when you knew that there was a missed opportunity elsewhere, right? Yeah. Well, you play for a few short years. You start getting a little uncomfortable because um, your body was itching. And over time, it starts to affect your game. You feel like you lost what you knew all your life, what you mm -hmm. loved, what you were passionate about, what you what you honestly, you know, I mean, I'm sure you lived for more, but lived for to go do everything. Yeah. yeah. You try to keep one last thing. You try to keep one last thing. With, with working out, keeping that around, trying to keep that, <laughs> right. that, that strength, trying to keep those memories alive, you know? 
I know that for me, that's what it was. That's how I got into training was just a loss of sports. And I was like, look, one last thing to keep it alive. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you get to training. Something goes wrong again. So we have adversity here. And then you go to the hospital and you get this news. Mm-hmm. And to most human beings, this is some of the worst news you could ever receive. Yeah. What's going through your head right now? What's going through your head in that exact moment when they let you know? It was funny because I, I, I kind of like spaced out and I was just, I was staring at the group of doctors, but I wasn't listening. I, I didn't really see nothing because that's how it went down. They said, we took your biopsy and the results came back and you've been diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I'm like, okay, cool. So what's like, whatever that is, um, let me get the medicine so I can get up out of here. And it was like, I don't think you understand. Like, you have to take chemotherapy. So at that moment, when I heard chemotherapy, it was I was like in awe. I went, hold up. I said, all right, well, chemo was associated with cancer, though. So I thought they, like, might have messed up because I'm 24, personal trainer, football player. Like, I can't. There's no way I can have cancer. And they was like, yeah, so what you have is a form of cancer, and it's in the last stage, so we have to act fast. And then at that moment, I kind of just like blanked out. I wasn't talking and I was just like staring, maybe in disbelief. And um, I really didn't come to till like a week afterwards. And because I was uh, in a space where I didn't think that this could happen to me, I couldn't really accept it yet. And so once I realized, all right, this is my reality, let's beat it. You know what I'm saying? So like after I came out of that week of, people thinking yo he going crazy he he he's feeling sad i wasn't necessarily sad i was just shocked and scared of course i was terrified because i didn't know what to expect but once i got over those emotions i was like let's go there you know what i'm saying like this is just another face i got to run through let's go so i start like i'm like all right let's do it and i start taking the chemo and then I mean, I don't know if you want me to keep going, but that's like, that's when I started taking the chemo. Um, Okay, so I'm taking this chemo, right? And the symptoms was chronic itching, night sweats, and fatigue. Now, when I walked outside the house and hit the sun, I automatically started itching, so I wouldn't even go outside. Eventually, my symptoms started to go away. Um, But an issue that starts happening is, my lungs would fill up with fluid. So I would be stuck in the hospital for about six, seven days. They're like, drain this fluid from my lungs, but they say your blood pressure's too high, we can't let you go. So now I'm getting irritated. So I'm in the hospital for my lungs, then I gotta go back for the chemo. And now I'm like, all my emotions are, are attacking me. Like, all right, I'm supposed to be playing football. I don't look like myself, I ain't got no hair. So now I'm getting really angry. And then I'm getting angry at God. I'm like, yo, you did this. Like, why? Why me? So I'm, I'm playing the victim role and I'm talking um, from a place of, of, of uh, just like not understanding, but pointing the blame at nobody because nobody's really to blame. And then I, uh, I go the holistic route. So someone like offers me a way out, if you will. And I'm saying, okay, so what's this about? And he said, yo, I've been dealing with cancer patients my whole career. Everybody I've dealt with who's worked with me is cancer-free. And, you know, I'm 24, 25. I say, if I can stop putting this poison in my body, the symptoms are gone anyway. If I can stop putting this poison in my body, why not? 
I tell my doctor, I say, look, doc, I know you probably don't like this, but I'm going to go another route. She said, if you stop taking this medicine, you're going to die. It's the wrong thing to say to me because now it's like, oh, you brought another running back in. Like, you're challenging me. Like, okay, bet. I'll show you. Like, that just solidified my, my decision. I'm like, all right, cool. Remember that. So I leave and I start taking the holistic medicine and like no meats and, and all this like these rocks and all this crazy stuff I had to take, jumping on trampolines for four months. And I'm guessing it's working. Like, I don't know. I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And then like at the end of that fourth month, I start itching again. And I'm like, nah, it's just in your head, bro. And then I start sweating again. And I'm like, nah, it can't be. I'm like, there's no way because this dude said everybody lives. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, all I can think of right now, see, in this space, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing and trusting in doctors. So chemo, that's your way. This is your way. Let's try your way. I'm trusting in your way. And now the symptoms are back. And I text the guy and he don't respond. I call him. I email him. He don't respond to me. Till this day, he's never responded to me when I told him that my symptoms came back. So I right, boom, your way's out the window. I go back and I tell him, I say, yeah, I'm back, whatever. Um, so I started taking the medicine and now my body's rejecting it. So chemo is working. I leave for four months. I do something else. I come back. My body's like, nah, we good. So my body's rejecting the chemo. And now I'm going chemo after chemo after chemo. And then we get to a point where it's like the last thing we have for you is the bone marrow transplant. So I got to do this with my father. And he's, a, he's like a half match. And they're like, well, this should work. Hit me with a high dose of chemo. Um, I go in for my PET scan right before the day of my bone marrow transplant. Then it says, no, I go in and I go in for my results. And then she says, um, this is bad. And I'm like, all right, well, well, what you talking about? She was like, it didn't work. I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? She says, um, there's nothing else we can do. It didn't work. I said, okay, well, what's next then? And she's like, no, there is no next. And she was like, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do for you. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm, I'm not understanding. And she asks me, have you ever been on a cruise? And now I'm like, all right, all right, this, you're not going to do that. And but I do, I say yes, I have. But why are you asking me? She said, maybe you should go on a cruise and enjoy the rest of your days because you don't have much time. And from that moment, like those words that she spoke to me, like that, that broke me. I ain't gonna lie to you. When she said that, I'm like, yo, I've been, I've been strong, I've been tough this whole time. And then I I I I went a different route. So now I'm blaming myself. And then when she was like, you don't have much time. It broke me. And mind you, my parents, like, I didn't let my, my parents come to the hospital with me no more. I was like, I got this. So I went on my own. And when I came back, you know, Eric, we were prepared to go to Baltimore to John Hopkins to do my bone marrow. And my mom was like, what'd they say? And I just started crying, bro. And it, it was it was like, I couldn't even get the words out, man. So yeah and it was tough at that moment it was tough it was tough Man. hearing hearing people's stories whatever they may be especially this one is is always a reminder to maintain perspective 
maintain perspective. When adversity hits, and you never know when it's going to hit. Yeah. You never know uh, how extreme that's going to be, how it's, that, that this news is going to be. You never know how it's going to affect you, your health, your mental, your mental wellness, your family. Because we can't forget about family having to, you know, go through this as well with you. Um, man. So on the topic of adversity and obviously hearing that whole story right there, tell me how you begin to overcome all these what feels like just, you know, extreme disadvantages. At this point in your life, you are thinking there's no more life, you know, mm -hmm. coming. You're thinking at this young age, like you said 24 correct 24 yeah. 25 yeah 24 years old you're expecting to no longer be on this earth like mm -hmm. that's that's not something to be played with that's not like something light you're expecting to no longer exist on this earth because something mm -hmm. has taken over your body that your doctors that you can no longer control how do you stay mentally sane like what's going mm -hmm. what's what how do you push through that? That's tough, man. Um, so what I tell people, man, you gotta, you have to understand, like, and it's, it's, it's your why, like, what, like, what are you doing what you're doing for? Like, who are you doing it for? What are you doing it for? Like, why do you do what you do? And my whole thing in that moment, so doctor said, I'd be brain dead. Um, Little League, I had asthma. They brought a running back in. You're not going to start your senior year. Going into my freshman year, you're not going to make the team. You're too small. Everything people, like all the things that people told me when I was young, I had to prove them wrong. Because like, I'm like, you're not going to tell me what I am. Like only I can determine what happens to me. So eventually I get so... So my senior year in college, it was amazing. I've never been at that level of shape, intensity, athleticism um, in my career until I got to my – like, I dominated my senior year. And that's why, I, I like, the dog thing came up because, like, that's what it was. Like, yo, he a dog. I'm a dog. I used to say it all the time. So now it's like, all right, well, if you are who you say you are, it's time to be that person. And so – it took, like, it literally took her telling me that I was going to die in order for me to wake up the dog. And the dog is lying dormant in every single person, but it takes life, like, I don't want to say life or death, but it, sometimes it takes extreme situations for you to dig down inside and see how strong you really are. And that's what I had, like, and I didn't know, and here's the thing, like, my outcome, I was like, it doesn't matter the outcome. All that matters is I'm going to fight. You feel me? And, I, and I, I said a prayer. I was like, look, God, if you are who you say you are, I'm going to trust in you. And if it don't happen, it don't happen. But I'm not going to go out believing that I can't do it. You feel me? So what I had the purpose in my heart is I said, if the chemo can't work, if the chemo don't work, if the medicine don't work, I'm a dog cancer on my own. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get as strong as I possibly can. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to beat it on my own. Like, I don't know how, but I promise you, I'm not going to die. And I kept saying, I'll die before I die. Like, it has, like, I was so desperate to prove 
this doctor and to prove cancer wrong and to prove me right that I refused, dog. Like I refused to die. I promise you, I, I wasn't going. It wasn't going to happen. I refused to die. And that's where the mentality came from. I was like, no matter what I have to do, I'm gonna do it. And I'm not dying in the process. And it looked like death, though. Like if you saw me, I'm pale, no eyebrows, no facial hair. My my doctor was like, you're gonna lose weight. I continued to get bigger during the whole process. They were like, I don't know how you're doing it. And each visit would give me motivation, even though the, the results was bad. He kept seeing me get bigger. I was like, I'm a beast. And he was like, yeah, he gave me this bad news. I was like, I'm a beast. That's all I kept telling him. And I just, I was, I was like motivated, bro. I was motivated to like not die. <laughs> so I was, when you're desperate for something, you'll do whatever it takes. Like your mom, right? She, like, you mean so much to, she did whatever she had to do to make it work. So when you're desperate for something, when something means that much to you, you will do whatever in your power to make it work. And what we don't understand as people is that we actually have the ability on the inside. Like, it's possible because it's already within. So if we start believing what's within and let it come out, we can do some amazing things. And I believe I'm a living testament of it, dog. And that's what it was. I wasn't going to die. I would die before I die. And yeah. That's a powerful statement right there. I will die before I die. Man, ladies and gentlemen, if you're still here with us, which I pray you are, I know, I know that that this story is inspiring for you because it's inspiring for any human who has yet to go through adversity or who has been through adversity and can connect with what Mike is talking about right now. This is the perfect example of, of exactly what he said. Humans being a living testament that something can be completed when you dedicate your life to it, literally. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> literally. Yeah. And um, as Mike said about desperation, desperation is the largest, the biggest motivator because when you have nothing, nobody can stop you, yeah. but you can stop you. So make sure that if that desperation comes, if times of desperation come, you have to commit, you have to, you have to decide. Like we talked, to, talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, you have to decide yeah. that you are, like Mike said, going to die before you die yeah and that's a powerful statement it's so so short so simple but it's so real obviously it's extremely real in your circumstance you know <laughs> completely but but if you adopt that mindset how can you lose how can you lose so thank you thank you so far mike man this conversation has been inspiring not only for me but i'm sure for the listeners i have a few more questions for you though of course we have mm -hmm. to talk about You've talked about it already so many times throughout this conversation, but when does dog culture become a reality? When do these videos happen? When does, when does, when does that become a thing that you share with the world? Because obviously it was within you. Obviously you're talking to yourself. You're talking to the doc, the people you're seeing every day when they're seeing you go through these, these traumatic experiences to say the least. And you're telling yourself, I'm a beast. I'm a dog. I'm going through it. I'm, I'm, and then on the football field, before before this happens, I'm a beast. I'm a dog. I got this. Like, when does it? When do you share that with the world? When do you share that mentality? When do you share? When do? You, when? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so once I once I came out of this situation, um, 
I was depressed because it was, it's like, I don't know, it's like going to war with Tyson, 12 rounds and you win. Like, I need a week, I need a month. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but I kept thinking about the time lost, right? And I'm like, football, I'm looking in the mirror, I don't look like myself. I, to this day, bro, like they told me I could never go out in the sun. And I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a football coach. I'm like, I've done everything I wasn't supposed to do, so whatever. But I start getting back into life, and I start working, and my mom just keeps telling me, you got to tell your story. And I'm like, yo, I'm not talking. I'm never going back there. I can't go back there because it hurts too much. I just want to forget about it. And I never – nobody – like my, my closest friends were the only ones that knew I had cancer. People – I went to school with like I wasn't on social media I, I told no one because I was in a dark place and I knew I needed to be alone in order to like in order to kill this thing I had to be like in the in the in the jungle by myself so I wasn't talking about it I was really going to war so I didn't want to go back and revisit like those emotions all the tears the pain I didn't none of that and then my mom she was like yo you gotta you have to and I'm like I'm not and I refused. And the craziest thing started happening. I started bumping into people who just got diagnosed with cancer. And I'm like, come on, dog. So I feel for them, like, with all my heart. So I'm, I said, I'm not going to not say nothing. So what I would do is I would, I would pull them over to the side because I'd see them crying and I hear their story. And I'm like, look, bro, I was diagnosed with stage four. I'm still here. And they would like come back a month or two later, big hugs and crying me like, yo, you, you really, you like, you really helped save my life because when you told me you had stage four and I had stage two, I was like, oh, I'm going to be all right. And that's what the mind needs. People don't understand. You heard the story of the guy who ran the four minute mile and nobody ran it before him. And as soon as he broke the record, like a week later, people started breaking the record because they knew it was possible. So I believe my story is to show people that it's possible. And so I started telling more and more people and they were like, yo, you don't know how much you helped me, dog. Like, all I know is that yours was worse and you still here. So there's no way that I, could, that I have to die because you did. And the more I did it, I was like, maybe that's it. Like, because I understand now what you go through isn't for you anyway. So I'm like, all right, well, maybe that's it. And um, I, I, I'm, I've never been a vocal person, even when I played ball. Like, Dawkins was my guy, but I was never the one to be yelling. I just smack you and beat on my chest. You know what I'm saying? And, and the more I understood that in order for me to tell my story, I had to literally tell my story, like, I got a D in, in public speaking, so I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, bro. <laughs> and uh, I literally, like, just continued to bump into people, and I got furloughed because uh, I work for the government. I got furloughed, right? And I was complaining to my boy. I said, man, I can't do this no more. Like, I can't keep sitting behind this desk. And he was like, well, just create your own. Create your own business. I'm like, what does that even mean? And he was like, what's something you passionate about? And I just kept thinking, like, that dog, like, that don't save my life. But I didn't know what direction I was going to go with it. Eventually, long story short, I started my LLC when I got furloughed because I was talking about it for so long. But that, 
I got furloughed and I was I got married. So married next year furloughed with me. As soon as I got married, my purpose went up another level. I said, this lady right. here will not have to work. She will not live the average life. I will change the trajectory of my last name and her last name. So when I got furloughed, I was like, what I'm supposed to look at her pops until I lost my job? Like, no, you got to figure it out. So I started my LLC when I got furloughed, didn't get a check. I just started the LLC as I got to do what I got to do. And through that, I said, okay, so how do we get dog? Because at first it was like dog movement. And I don't know how, but I started thinking like it's a lifestyle. It's a culture. And that's how two and two, that's how that got put together. But then, so I was like, how do I do it though? And I started dropping like workout videos, trying to get around talking about it. I was like, well, I just make cool workout videos and say dog and beat my chest. And I started interviewing people and t- telling them or getting their story or how they were dogs in their own respective ways. And my pastor was like, well, you know, eventually you got to tell your story. And I was like, yeah, I know. And so what helped me was I was sit. I got the little studio upstairs. I was sitting in front of the camera and I would just pull my heart out to the camera. And eventually I told my story. I think it took about two months to get it out. I would drop a video like every three days. And eventually I was like, so now what? And um, I was like, well, I work out, you know? And so I started doing workout videos, but I still wasn't saying much. And then one day I was on the hill and some kid was complaining about being tired and I just started curging. And I'm like, yo, and I brought my situation into it, high school cancer. And I was like, this ain't about you being tired. This is like, what you, why are you here? Are you, what, what's your reason for being here? And use that to get through the workout. And then somebody recorded it. And I was like, oh, man, I might have some. So I started recording that, like my hill workouts and my videos. And then uh, COVID happened, right? I'm like, dang. So now I'm like, okay, no gym, but let's get into running because I'm not a runner. And I can do that because that would challenge me. Then I started running. And then at the like, Midway through my run, at the end of my run, I would have a lot of energy and I'd be on my story and I'd talk on my story and people would say, yo, I really love your stories. Like you motivate me. And then eventually I was like, maybe I should just drop a video. And that's kind of how it, it just started like building on top of each other. And then I stopped doing the stories and then like midway through my point, I would, it's, it's funny because when I'm working out, my mind is going and everything like, when it gets tough, I start talking to myself. And then when I get to a point where I'm yelling at myself, that's when the camera come out. So when I'm like, when the workout gets tough and I start going through, I'm like, you, I call myself worried. I'm like, you a sucker. And I talk back. <laughs> and I'll be like, no, I ain't. You a sucker. And then when I get there, the inspiration kind of just is like, I don't even know what I'm going to say. I just bring the camera out and I start talking. So that's kind of how it started. Man, I know I'm grabbing a long-winded. Hey, no, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. I love it. See, the funny thing about my podcast is I'm a huge talker. So the 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 happy the happier I am about my ep- like an episode or interview is the more they talk because yeah, yeah. then I'm like that's the whole purpose. I'm bringing you guys on to you know really share your story in in depth. And you know, again, I thank you for being open enough to to share it on this platform. But I love when people talk, so never apologize. If we ever do a part two or part three, talk all you want. Uh, but um. But, uh, man, I love that because what I'm noticing most is you stepping into your purpose. 
and you stepping into, you know, I mean, I'm about to say the same thing, but yeah, stepping into your purpose, your mission, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, going through so much adversity in life, but then coming to a point where you're reflecting on that and you take all of those experiences and you're reminded that throughout your life, you know, as we hear, it's a book, it's a, it's a book. And, you know, as cliche as it is to say, we have chapters and all these mm-hmm. chapters have summaries. And when we put this together, whether it's in a real book or whether it's through our IG stories or whether it's through our Snapchat stories or whether it's through Facebook pages, um, whatever it's through, mm-hmm. when we're able to share our story with others, just like when we read a book, we're able to inspire the world. And like Nipsey said, yeah. his, his favorite thing to do is to inspire because when you inspire somebody, that's the most powerful thing you can do because they can mm-hmm. take that into everything else everything else no matter no matter if they have cancer no matter if their grandfather just died whether they're living in a in a in a community where lots of violence has happened whatever it is whatever their experience is when they're able to hear somebody else's story and they're and and hear somebody else talk about something that speaks to their soul especially a stranger and to understand that we're all interconnected that we're all going through challenges of our own that are that are that are as as diverse and as, as different as as everyone else's. Mm-hmm. It's just a powerful moment to be able to connect with another individual. So I, I just want to you know bow down, give you a couple high claps, you know, for 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 not only having the confidence to speak about your mm-hmm. story and get to that point, but to be selfless and take that time to really invest in other human beings because that's powerful. Yeah. So dog did has it has it been broken down into an acronym um yeah speak on speak on that yeah desire attitude will and grind and um i like to say it for the first time when i'm telling people so my desire to live had to be stronger than the noise than what the doctors were telling me through it all i had to keep a positive attitude when I looked in the mirror and I didn't see myself, I had to, like, I had to see, uh, I don't want to say the end, but I had to see where I was going. So my positive attitude was like, I'm coming out of this thing regardless. Like, it doesn't matter what it looks like. I'm coming out on the other side. The will. When I had my stem cell transplant, when I was in NIH, I was running around the hospital in my little, my little IV and everybody was cheering me on. Oh, he's crazy. I run around like just laps around the hospital. And after I did my uh, stem cell transplant, they were like, yo, you got to get up drain. Like literally they, they erased my immune system. So they hit me with the highest dosage of chemotherapy ever, like in history. So they wiped out my immune system and then they wanted me to get up and walk around. Like, yo, I, I have no strength. And they were like, well, if you don't, you'll clot and all this other craziness. I, I still couldn't do it. But eventually, like when I felt like it was time, I had to will myself out of the bed. I had to will myself. So when I was doing chemo, when I first, before I went to NIH and Kaiser, I would go to the gym. I, as bad as I felt, as soon as I left the chemo treatment, I would go to the gym and I would will myself to the gym because I had to, I had to 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 believe in my mind that nothing was changing like i was not any different from who i've always been i'm not a cancer patient i'm not 
anybody you're going to have pity over. I'm going to continue my routine. I'm not going to accept what you want. Like they would tell me, go home and, and lay down. Like, nah, that's not, that's not the way I can beat this. I have to beat it my way. So I would will myself to the gym. And the grind was this. I would always hear um, in the Bible, it was a lady with the issue of blood. And like, she had, you know, this issue for 10 years and, Everybody kept telling me 10 years. I'm like, dog, I'm not doing this for 10 years. I was like, one year in, I was like, I can't. I kept telling myself, I can't do it for 10 years. And then I got to a point where time wasn't a factor. And I was like, dog, however long it takes, that's the desperation. However long it takes, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to live. So I don't care if it's 15 years. So once I, like, once I eliminated the timeline and I said, I'm going to grind this thing out, I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to grind. And then in the end, I'll look up. That's what the grind stands for. So that's why I broke it down to those four uh, words, desire, attitude, will, and grind. What, what you just showed me right there is that, that you move with intention. Now, yeah. I can tell, obviously, throughout your whole story that you're moving with intention. But oftentimes, we create brands. We create ideas. We create um, videos. We create we create so many things or say so many things, but without intention. Mm. And when there's no intention behind anything, it doesn't have purpose. Mm. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try to get a message across to, you know, listeners or to an audience or, yo, have this, uh, you know, dog culture t-shirt or this dog culture, um, you know, podcast or whatever it is. If the if 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 internally you know that there's no purpose, no intention behind it, it's not gonna go anywhere. So, I, I love that you I love that you broke it down like that. Um, and I love how you broke down time. Like, yeah, I mean, speechless. But I'm gonna say something anyways. <laughs> um, Gary Vaynerchuk, man, talks about how people especially this generation want things so fast mm -hmm. you know but i would say all generations personally want things fast just human beings in general want things quickly they want things to be over quickly i'm sure i'm sure that you wanted that to be over man i'm yeah. sure you wanted to be out of pain i'm sure you wanted to hear some good news i'm sure you wanted to feel strong again feel like you did when you were a senior in college and you're in your standouts mm -hmm. i'm sure um yeah but when you're able to eliminate the time factor and just dedicate yourself to something dedicate mm -hmm. yourself to a process mm -hmm. and then you just put your head down like you said and when you come up when you come up you're gonna see what you want to see i promise you that yeah. but man there's just so many gems you've been dropping throughout the podcast. So, you know, I'm over here like taking them all in and wanted to talk about all of them. But man, man, I just want to say thank you once again for, for, for tapping into the podcast. I want to ask you one last question before we hop off. And definitely if, you know, if you're free again in the future, a part two is necessary because there's so many more questions I had that, that I didn't even ask yet. So um, I want to ask you about faith. I want to ask you about God and I want to mm -hmm. ask you, uh where he was during this process where where did you, where did you where did you put him how important was he um and you know how important was it to to have faith and just maybe share a little bit about how important god and faith is to you and your heart not only 
while you were going through that process, but just in life today, right now? Yeah. So it's funny, man. Um, growing up, I would, I would have these confessions that I read and I would have these protection scriptures. I even have it on my arm, Psalms 91. Um, but I would read these confessions every single day. And it was just like ritual, like, you know, in high school I did it. So I just did it. And when I got diagnosed, it was like a sense, like my auntie, like that's my road dog. She always prays for me, but it was a sense of urgency for me to read them every single, like read them 10 times a day. And I'm like, all right. So I'm reading these, these, these uh, confessions with the intent of if I read them, like the more I read them, the better chance I have to get in healed. I'm going to healing seminars, like these church healing seminars, thinking if I get them to pray for me, I'll be okay. I'm asking my pastor, my mom, my aunt, everybody to pray for me. I'm asking them to believe that I'll be healed, right? And eventually, bro, when I was in the hospital, I was like, all right, I'm not reading nothing no more. Like, cause I'm tired of working for something that's supposed to be mine. Right. So I stopped reading the scriptures. I stopped reading my Bible and I just, I listened to like worship music and that would, would calm my spirit. When I was going through pain, um, quick story. I had, so a mass in my chest, the size of a, a baseball in my back, the size of a softball and golf balls under my arm. And so for a week, I had to sit in the hospital with no, um, with no narcotics. I'm sorry, with no chemo. So they had to give me narcotics to take the pain away. But the problem was I can only get them every four hours. The pain was so, it was so hard. Uh, it was so bad in my chest that after an hour and a half, the pain would come back. So in these moments, like I felt like something was literally trying to force itself out my chest and I'm going through so much pain. And so in these times, I just put my music on and I just laid back and I would, I would get a sense of calmness over my body, although I was going through what I was going through. And I realized that I'm not going to work for my healing. And I had this conversation. I said, yo, if you are who you say you are, you are the healer, right? Like I accepted you as my Lord. And I'm supposed to be, you know, dominion over, over sickness and all this. If that's true, and this is just a process, then we'll see what happens. And through that, I realized that a lot of us, we, 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 we depend on other people's faith to see us through. Mm-hmm. We depend mm-hmm. on our good works to see us through. Like, yes. it ain't about works. It ain't about what somebody else's belief I, I truly believe it's about your heart and what you believe. And when I got in that situation where I stopped depending on prayers and I stopped depending on reading and I just started depending on faith and I was like, I'm just going to believe. And that is the, like, that is the relationship I have with God. I don't read my Bible every single day. I don't read confessions. I don't always go to church, but I have a relationship with God because that's my dog. And we've been through some things, you know what I mean? And I was able to lean on him and he brought me through. So in my household, like we're big, like believers, that's what we do. And our lifestyles, you know, reflect that. And honestly, I, I feel like, man, 
what we what you do for somebody else in return like the atmosphere brings that back to you so if i can show people that you don't have to do like this checklist to be able to like to be all right with god you don't have to like pray every single day you don't have to wear it look a certain way to say that you love the lord then if i can do that for somebody else and help them live a better life then i'm all right with that so that's what faith is i love it not that you needed this validation but that was a 12 out of 10 answer (laughs) (laughs) that was a great answer i'm gonna definitely play that back for myself um appreciate you um with that being said i'm gonna ask you one last bonus question and uh then we'll wrap it up thank you so much for your time today listeners thank you guys for listening i hope you guys gathered some gems some valuable information and some inspiration that will guide you towards where you're supposed to be in life because i know that i picked that up and i already read about his story before i even heard it and it's even more powerful hearing it straight from the mouth of the gentleman himself so um it's your last day on earth officially (laughs) um you have no instagram posts you have no facebook posts you have no facebook videos dog culture is is not there anymore nothing you've done in this life is 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 available or accessible anymore Mm. great grandchildren (laughs) you watch there (laughs) but um your your great grandchildren are sitting at your feet and you have to give them one piece of advice of how to live life. What are you going to tell them? Mm. 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 I got to give them one. Mm. I would probably say, <laughs> I would, I would, I would, I would couple two things. I would say, as long as you do not quit in whatever you do in life, you cannot lose but you have to be willing to die before you, you die. And then if they want me to break it down, I break it down. But that's what I stand on. If you do not quit in anything you're doing, if you do not quit, you cannot lose. So that's what I stand on, you feel me? And, and, and the motivation behind it, the way you don't quit is you have to be willing to die before you let whatever's in front of you take you out. now that's amazing man this podcast this this conversation has truly been a blessing not only um am i just glad to be able to hear your story on and 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 have you on the platform but i'm glad that i was able to take it in myself you know although i got to come up with questions on the bat you know the 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 conversation was so good that literally i only asked you one question off of the list of 20 questions i wrote and we just you know flowed through so (laughs) So that, that, that tells me that the conversation was good and that, that, you know, we were really in tune with each other. So I didn't have to look at no questions to ask. I just, the vibes was there. So, um, I want you to plug, um, dog culture. I want you to plug any books, any t-shirts, any, uh, where people can find this. Um, so any listeners who decide to, to, to tap in with you can find you, go ahead and share that with them. 100%. So on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Snapchat is at dog underscore culture. That's D-A-W-G underscore culture, C-U-L-T-U-R-E. Dog Culture LLC on Facebook, but also my name is Michael Hill, and I'm on Facebook, and I drop the same content on Facebook that I do on my Instagram. Dog Culture YouTube channel. Check me out. Like, comment, subscribe. I'm trying to get – 
I t- so I got a team. We working together. They said, we can get 50,000 uh, subscribers by the end of the year. I said, I need a million by the end of the year. Like, don't put me in a box, bro. I need a million this year. Three million. Like, I, I, I think big and therefore what you think you become. So if you think small, you only give that amount of effort. You think bigger, you're going to have to put the effort up there to catch up to what you're thinking. So, yeah, I mean, I'm off topic. But, yeah, dog culture at dog underscore culture. Um, yeah, man, and, and dogculture.com, my website, www.dogculture.com. Come cop you some merch. Be a part of the family. Um, what else we got? And LinkedIn, Michael Hill. Check me out, Michael Hill, CEO, Dog Culture. I'm on every platform. I love it. I love it. And ladies and gentlemen, please truly tap in with the website. I am a big um, pusher of owning your own platform because at the end of the day, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter are are blessings in that they are um, ecosystems that we can tap into to share our message. But as young black individuals, as young black males, um, as a community, we need to try our very best to start owning everything. Um, and one way to do that in this modern day world is to own your platform when it comes to social. So please tap in with his website for sure. And please, I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, what young men of color, financial literacy, learn about it because this is how we get our power back. We have to be able to talk the language and money is power. And I'm telling you for a long time, they have us believing that we're not capable, but we are so capable. The information is just in the books. So you got to read the books, educate yourself, apply the information. If you fall on your face, that's cool. But as you fall, you'll get up and you'll figure it out. But you'll never be able to figure it out if you never start. So financial literacy is important for us. Like as a culture, as a, as a people, we have to understand, bro, and that is how we live the lifestyle that we are we were intended to live. We have to be financially literally literate and learn how to earn money. Like that's big. And we think working hard to earn money. No, work smart to earn money, bro. Absolutely. So, yeah. Educate that's a word. That's a word. With that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. This is Mike Hill. This is Collis Stutzer, and you already know what it is, dog culture commit to the process don't quit make sure that you die before you die Dang. Go. let's go yes sir c-i-c-i-double-z-y you dig live action we out salute